0: I hope you realize that two factors have come together to create a culture that is very prone to being judgmental. Our individualism and secondly, our competitive nature. And judgmentalism, when you dissect it, is really, it comes down to this. When a person is really secure with themselves, They don't have a reason. They don't really have a need to be judgmental of others. They understand who they are in relationship to God. So they're not in any way insecure or envious or jealous of anyone else's position. But when you're insecure, when you struggle with your own identity, you fall into the competitive, individualistic mindset of our culture. You become focused on me, myself, and I. And you become very prone to compare yourself with others. But if you're able to sit back and reflect just how much this sinful lifestyle has in fact infected you, I intentionally am not using the word affected, But how much it has infected you. Because I believe that our culture is very much an infecting culture. Then you begin to realize that you are in fact in many ways leaning toward being judgmental. And that's the time when we as Christians need to take a deep look into our hearts and figure out what it is that we really stand for. And if you can't answer the question, what do I stand for? What do I believe in? What causes am I ready to fight for? What are those things that I'm really passionate about? Then rest assured, you're likely to be criticizing others because you really aren't in touch with your own identity spiritually. And I'm not just talking about criticizing in terms of other people's behaviors and all. It also takes place when we start to criticize their lifestyle. Uh, You know, there are times when other people are doing things that deserve to be challenged, confronted, but certainly not, for us, condemned. We're not the judge. I go back to the story of Jesus with the woman that was brought to him who was caught in the act of adultery. Where are those who have come to condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. That was Jesus Christ himself. But he did still confront her. But go and sin no more. There is a distinction. And I hear so many Christians who slip over that line instead of just speaking about in a, in a scriptural manner the problems. Instead of just going to those people scripturally with a desire to confront. So many condemn. So many develop a prejudice attitude and that attitude leaks out into very hateful little statements and blurbs that get made. The healthiest thing for us to do, especially if you care about someone, isn't to condemn them but to lovingly discern how you might be able to help them. And again, it comes down to being secure. Paul says in Romans 15.1, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Go back and study it. Read it. I'm not pulling it out of context. But unfortunately, we live in a very insecure world. Even in the midst of our technologies and all of the comforts that we have, there is an erosion of the inner self taking place. And a major source of that, I believe, is in many cases growing up in homes where parents don't do enough to validate their children. One of the things that I was taught as I was working on my degree in education was that if there is a time that you have to say something negative to one of your students you make sure you follow that up with seven words of commendation and and seven things positive because it takes seven good things to replace one bad thing now For those of us who are an adult, we might think about that in terms of when we have said something negative and critical to somebody that we know. Maybe we need to be going back with seven positive things to take away the sting of the negative, nasty thing that we might have said. Unfortunately, there are also factors in society that lead to that. We're living in a dog-eat-dog mentality. Uh, I mentioned above that already. Regardless of the reason, here's the point. Judgmentalism is an outgrowth of insecurity. If you're criticizing other people, it's because you need to look inside because there's problems inside of you that need to be dealt with causing you to lash out that way toward others. And being judgmental is a sin. Now, why is this the case? I think it's because, as we stated two weeks ago, a major part of the problem is that we are in fact sinners without excuse. And the reason is actually twofold. First, we don't have an understanding of God's holiness. And second, we don't understand our own sinfulness. And a false understanding of who God is along with a false understanding of who we are only leads to serious problems. For example, in terms of God's holiness. When was the last time you heard somebody in a positive way talk about the fear of God? See, I know... That God is my Father and Jesus is my brother and the blessed Holy Spirit is my guide. We sung that as a camp song. But even Jesus addressed God the Father as our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I was a part of the Jesus movement, the hippies of the late 60s, early 70s. I had my long hair and my bell-bottom jeans. And and, uh, one of the problems of that movement was too much of a chummy-chummy attitude toward Jesus. Oh, he's our friend. He's our brother. But we also need to remember that God is holy, and that we are sinful, and our idol-making minds fail to see God as the transcendent, the holy other, the perfect God, who is infinitely above us as humans, and instead, we start to imagine that God's just like us, only just to a bigger degree regarding our own sinfulness, we forget that we're made in the image of God and that every sin that we commit communicates a distortion of the image of God to those who are around us. And it's through such ignorance that many people suggest that if God judges as He says He's going to, then He insults His own integrity, holiness, and justice. They cannot comprehend that a God who is defined for us as love, and God is love, must also be defined as just and merciful. The eternal fact is, God said what He means, and He means what He said. Moreover, His judgment, despite the skeptic Who wants to come up with moralisms to the contrary? His judgment is perfect. And that's what Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, is all about. And as we come to understand or reaffirm our understanding of the perfection of God's judgment, we actually bring health to our souls. For those of us who are believers, It should drive us toward a greater authenticity in life and thus to spiritual power. For the non-Christian, there should be strong encouragement to face fundamental issues about who we are and who God is. But we need to hear the warning of verse 6. God will render to each one according to His works. Think with me for a minute just in terms of worship. Many who claim to be Christians never or seldom ever join with other Christians to worship. And you know what? The only time Christian is used in the singular in the New Testament is when it's talking about the need for that person to reflect upon where they're standing. It's always used as plural. It's the Christians as they meet. And when the body, which is the church, is described, it's not talking about just the head and one part of the body, is it? Isn't the body made up of many members according to the New Testament? And so I don't understand. First of all, I don't understand how somebody thinks they can be a Christian and not be a part of the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. But I don't understand why people who claim to be Christian... Would even want to go to heaven if they don't want to be with other Christians here on earth. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Cindy, you said you're doing Hebrews. Mm -hmm. This is one of those passages that I have preached a sermon at one time called the the salad sermon uh, because it keeps talking about lettuce. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It doesn't say, hey, you as a Christian, figure out how to stir yourself up. Let us... Consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the draw the day drawing near. Some claiming to be Christians have separated themselves and so they've severed themselves from the head. What a gruesome image that is. Some have claimed to be Christians, have come to church every Sunday, but for all the wrong reasons. I found this and I thought it was really cute. I I want to share it with you as an example. Uh, It appeared back in 1970. I have this file that has all these little clippings, and and some of them are notes, some of them are little pieces of paper, Uh, some of them are just references to go to on the computer as a link now so that I don't have to cape as much paper. (laughs) But it appeared in a magazine called Christian Life. It was written by Elva McAllister and it's titled, Envy Went to Church. Here's how it goes. Envy went to church this morning. Being legion, he sat in every other pew. Envy fingered wool, And silk fabrics hung price tags on suits and neckties that people were wearing envy paced through the parking lot scrutinizing the chrome and the paint envy prodded plain Jane wives and bright wives married to dullards any kind men that were married to knife, knife fork shrews Envy thumped at widows and widowers, jabbed and kicked at college girls without escorts, lighted invisible fires inside khaki jackets. Envy conferred upon his morning with all his brothers. He liked his Sunday scores today, but not enough. Some of his intended clients had sipped an antidote marked grace and wore a holy flower named love. Now, I have no question that that was written mostly with images of of the the 70s when it was written, but but I think we can bring it home, can't we? The tendency we have to point to others and not think about how it's pointing back at us and now the real standard is really God So here's the image that I want you to consider this morning. Eric asked somebody out there in Grinnell, Iowa. He said, why does the pork seem to taste so much better out here? And the guy's answer was, almost all of our pigs are corn-fed. They're not slopped. See, the question as we begin to dig into the text is are we wearing that flower named love? And on what are we sipping? What is our diet, so to speak? What are we actually dining on? And how is that impacting our desire? How are things that we are watching, reading, and listening to influencing our behavior? And how is our lifestyle demonstrating what we believe? What are the things we are doing? What are those things reflecting in terms of whether or not we are truly living the Christian life? So here's our text. It's actually Romans 2.12-16, but I want to back up to verse 11. The reminder, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law for it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God but the doers of the law who will be justified for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires they have a law of themselves even though they do not have the written law they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Well, their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. May God add His blessing to our reading of this Word this morning. The bottom line, The bottom line, what matters most, is not that we are hearers of Scripture. Though that's very important. I can't stress enough the the importance and the value. And I'm going to be confessional for a minute. Because you as a congregation helped me get things straightened out in my life. And I'm going to tell you how that happened. When I came here, And uh, we talked in terms of office hours I decided that what I would do the first thing in the morning when I got here was spend some time reading the Bible and praying and I have read the Bible through from front to end at least once completely every year sometimes twice because I've read the Old Testament twice but each year I've read the New Testament four times in the five and a half years that I've been here. And I have grown more in terms of not only my knowledge, but in terms of my outlook during that time period by reading God's Word. And keep that in the context of the fact that I grew up in a minister's home with perfect attendance in Sunday school until I was 19 years old when I got double pneumonia church camp every summer vacation Bible school every summer back when it was two weeks all day long and you had lunch provided four years of Bible college four more years of graduate school and then another five years of doctoral studies and by reading God's word on a daily basis reading it through front to back I've gained more than I did during that time period. Last Sunday we showed that the judgment of God will be righteous. And according to what we have done. Verses 6 to 8. And second, it'll be impartial. That it'll be done without favoritism. Verses 9 to 11. Paul now begins to develop what this means in relationship to the Mosaic Law, which is mentioned here for the first time, though it's going to come be... Mentioned again throughout the rest of the letter of Romans. And verse 12 puts Jews and non-Jews, those he refers to as Gentiles, into the same category of sin and death. And I tried to stress it when I was reading, but there were two parallel statements that Paul makes. Both of them began with the words, all who have sinned. All who have sinned Apart from the law, the Gentiles who will will perish apart from the law and all who have sinned under the law who will be judged by the law and perished under the law. And interestingly, the verb is used in the aorist tense which is normally a historical snapshot. So what it's doing is Paul is looking at this from the point of judgment day. Looking back. Everybody is going to have failed. The ground of judgment is our works. The rule of judgment is our knowledge. Whether or not we have lived up to our knowledge. For those who have not heard the law, who are righteous in God's sight, but who obey the law, they'll be declared righteous. Verse 13. Now, that's a theoretical and hypothetical statement, I know, because nobody can live up to the law. Romans 3.20 We've all failed and come short of the glory of God. But, just in case you're skeptical about this, I want you to hear how Jesus closed His sermon that we have, the longest one recorded. Matthew chapter 7. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits, their deeds. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many deeds of power in your name? And then I'll declare to you, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. What was Jesus saying? It doesn't matter. Maybe I'm going too far with this, but I don't believe I am. Because of what Jesse read from James this morning. It doesn't matter a hoot what you say about your faith if what you are doing, saying, and how you are living does not confirm your faith. Because all have sinned apart from the law. And that brings me to my second point. And that is we are guilty... Every one of us sitting here this morning is guilty. I can't keep from saying it. I hope you can't keep from saying it. I am a sinner. Thanks be to God, I'm a sinner who is saved by grace. In Paul's perspective... In verses 14 to 15 is we're guilty because we know better. What Paul's insisting on is that there's really not a fundamental difference between those who did not get brought up under the law and those who did because in the end, those who didn't have the law are going to be judged on the law that was written on their hearts and whether or not they lived up to that, and those who did have the law are going to be judged by means of the law that they could read, and it's again going to be based on what they did. Verse 15 is actually an explanation of how people who do not have access to the law of Moses, who do not have access to the Scriptures, have a form of God's law. And it expands on the concept that the Gentiles are a law for themselves since they do show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. We know it as conscience. One way, those moral principles, you know, Uh, You might not find this humorous, but I did. When I was on the police department in Louisville, Kentucky, some of the people who screamed the loudest and got upset the most that somebody had stolen something from them were known thieves. And some of the people that I have seen who have gotten the most irate because of something their wife did that they thought was flirtatious, or worse. It was okay for them, but boy let their wife do something. You see, we we have a standard of what's right and wrong. Have you ever heard somebody who's not a Christian say, Well, that's not fair? Ever heard somebody not a Christian say that? If there is no standard of right and wrong, how do they come up with what's fair and what's not fair? You see, they're admitting that they have an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. I find the teaching of my friend who recently passed away, Jack Cottrell, most helpful in this. He analyzes two passages in the New Testament from Paul, Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. And what he basically says is, one... We are made in the image of God. And that meant that we have knowledge and we have a knowledge of true righteousness and holiness. And secondly, though the fall did result in the corruption of mankind, it was not a total destruction. We do not believe, I do not believe, that total depravity is found in the Scriptures. We are affected by the fall, but it is in an unspecified manner and degree. And we are still held responsible. There still is a moral consciousness that remains intact and therefore without excuse. And third, part of the Christian salvation consists in this very thing. The recreation, the renewal of the image of God within us. uh, Through the inspired teaching of the apostles and the prophets. 2 Timothy 3. So, when this inner moral consciousness, the inwardly written law plus the conscience is combined with the knowledge of God learned through the created universe, chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, the result is is that even the non-believers know that the law is the law of a creator God. I heard a man who was an atheist who became a Christian say one day, oh, you know, The evidence was overwhelming. We understood that. And that's why we tried to figure out every way we could to deny it. It wasn't that we didn't realize there was a God. It's that we didn't want there to be a God. Because if there was a God, He had a rightful claim on our lives and how we should live. Verse 16, and let me conclude quickly. I think the paragraph closes with what I believe is our greatest blessing. Connecting this verse directly with verse 15 by adding that our secrets will be judged by Jesus Christ. Verse 16 brings all of these preceding thoughts to a climax, wraps them all up in a neat little package, and the effect that is achieved is when we add the word all to the beginning of the phrase, saying all of this will take place on the day when God will judge, which is the same as Paul refers to in verse 5 as the day of God's wrath. And by the way, in verse 16, the word judge is that word "kreno" that I talked about a few weeks ago. Meaning, condemn, pass judgment on. But listen to me. Here's the blessing. I am guilty as a sinner. God declares me guilty as a sinner based on how I am living. But when judgment comes, and we read it last week out of Revelation, when judgment day comes, there are books that are going to be opened. But then there's another book, singular. And after everybody's been judged guilty, And the penalty phase is being dealt with, and some are being cast into the eternal lake of fire. That book is opened, and Jesus, Paul just said it here in Romans, Jesus has that book of life because Revelation says he's the, the final judge, the final arbiter. And Jesus says, Oh, wait a minute. Listen to me. It's not that we are not guilty. It's that Jesus paid the penalty. It's the penalty phase. Jesus paid the penalty. And so He's able to say, "Uh, Father, even though that person's a guilty sinner, their name's here in the book of life. And so I've paid the price for them already. They go over here for (coughs) the penalty. That has been so seriously misunderstood and misappropriated in the teaching of the church for sections of the teaching of the church for many years. Justification is not me being, and I I taught this wrong, just as if I'd never sinned. No! Justification is that even though I am a sinner, I am justified in that Jesus has paid the price on my behalf. So here's my challenge this morning. It's kind of a remedy, a prescription for spiritual satisfaction. It again comes from the Sermon on the Mount, from the Beatitudes at the beginning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness what is righteousness i'm talking if it's those little ones were back in here how would we define righteousness how about doing right things doing holy things doing things that separate me from those who are not christians I heard this week another story like I shared with you about my good friend George Keller. In George's case, he was working with a guy. They didn't go to the same church, but in, in George's case, they both were Christians, and they worked together side by side for 15 years and didn't even know they were both Christians. And George told me that story with tears coming down his eyes. This week, I heard about two girls who were laughing, and they said, What are you laughing about? And they said, we've been going to the same church and didn't even know each other. Didn't even realize that we were both Christians. How sad. How sad. Let's be those who are hungering and thirsting for doing what is right, being separated, being holy, because that's the way. You see that last phrase? That's the way to find satisfaction in life let's pray